KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. People who serve in the military experience things that the rest of us can't possibly understand. Now, we tend to think of veterans as heroic and strong, like they should be able to handle anything, but some of them struggle. You know, thank you for your service. Or, well, you were in the military. I expect better from you. I've heard that thrown around quite a bit. Whether it's PTSD or just having a hard time readjusting to life at home, veterans face unique mental health issues, and those issues can be different depending on when and where they served. The Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania is trying to help by providing mental health services for post-9-11 veterans and their families. You don't have to be homeless or transitionally housed or you know suicidal to need support in some area, right, in some way. And so I think what we, you know, we try to share with folks is like, if you don't feel like you, like if something doesn't feel right, it's it's never too early to get care. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers, get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. We're talking with clinic director Dr. Leah Blaine and Pete Whitney, a retired Army major now working as the clinic's outreach manager about mental health for veterans, the issues they face, how the clinic tries to help, and what we can all do to better serve the people who have served our country. So to start, and Leah, I'll start with you. Tell me about the the Cohen Clinic, your mission, what you do, what you're all about. Sure. So I serve as the clinic director. So in my role, I get to oversee all of the aspects of what the Cohen Clinic does. So our main mission is to provide high quality, evidence-based mental health care to post-9-11 veterans and their family members. And we try to do that with as few barriers as possible. So that means evening appointments, that means telehealth, that means transportation assistance, whatever somebody needs to be able to get in consistently and access the care that they deserve. Pete, outreach manager, what does that entail? I'm still figuring it out after two and a half years. Um, No, my job is to make sure that we have a connection to the veterans community where organizations and individual veterans know about us, uh, which at this point in time, post 9-11 veterans are not known as joiners. So it makes it it makes it tough and challenging, but uh, extremely rewarding because I get to connect to my fellow veterans. Pete, talk to me a little bit about what would you say are the biggest mental health challenges that these veterans face? What are the top things you see people coming to you or you reaching out to people to help with? Um, I would say isolation is where it really begins from my perspective. I'm not an expert like Dr. Blaine, uh, but I have every unit that I was stationed with between 2001 and 2021 had at least one suicide. And in every one of those cases, there was a case of isolation and a veteran straight from the flock, whatever you want to call it, but they, they lost that connection. And it's that team part that we've, we don't really see or understand because we see so many uh, veterans as like the lone survivor and, you know, like that, that hero on his own. But when you join the military, the whole idea is that you're immediately indoctrinated into this, this environment where you are just part of a team. And when you lose that, I think it's even worse, especially for veterans uh, that have been separated from service. But it happens even while you're in service. And it seems to me that that is always the point of that's where the trouble. I'm not saying the trouble starts there, but it's it's 
pretty far upstream uh, for, for the mental health challenges of veterans. Well, talk to me a little bit about are the challenges we see in this generation of veterans of the last 20 years, are they unique or are they challenges that we just understand much better and we are able to start to get our arms around them as opposed to what we saw in the past? That's an amazing question. So I would say every era of service has uh, some defining features, right, in terms of just what what that looked like, right? So for Vietnam, you know, especially from a mental health perspective, some of the quintessential things that we look at are the fact that it was a draft, that folks did not deploy in units, in teams that they had trained with. Folks were, um, you know, deployed and, and um, sent on missions, kind of onesies, twosies, often with folks that they didn't know. That has a real specific impact, the environment they came back to, and how that lack of support and even criticism. Uh, impacted their mental health, their transition, those kinds of things. Um, this this kind of cohort, right, if we look at the last 20 years of service and what folks are kind of, you know, quote unquote, coming home with or what they might be struggling with in their transitions does look different, of course, because their service looked different, right? We, we're talking about folks who um, it was an all-volunteer service. We're talking about um, a landscape in which folks were deploying from the National Guard and reserves at as high a rate as active duty counterparts, which is uh, unprecedented, truly. Um, So we're looking at family impact from multiple deployments, right? So we see this really kind of rippling out. And, you know, as as I think we've we've, uh, seen, the proportion of people serving is lower, right? So not only are more people doing more, right, getting out and deploying more and more and more, but those same people are less and less understood in the community that they return to, right? So what does that support look like other than a nominal thank you or other than, uh, you know, a yellow ribbon that might be out? And so it really is a unique operational context. And so understanding all of that and then how that layers on to when someone experiences a traumatic event or someone experiences a loss, and there's all these other layers that are surrounding it. Talk to me a little bit about, kind of dig into the services you guys mm-hmm. provide and and what you do kind of from a macro and a micro like you know in general but then kind of dig yeah. into to to how you're able to try to help yeah so i refer to us as a specialty generalist clinic because our mission is really to use the state of the art, right? Like the strongest evidence-based practices that we can to help somebody get to their goals as quickly as humanly possible. And and we firmly believe that that's what our service members, our veterans, and their families deserve is the best we've got. So how our clinic implements that is, again, we try to make it really easy to engage. We try to cut down all those barriers that could prevent somebody from coming in. If you need a session over lunch, that's what we're doing. If you need telehealth, we've got you. If you need a SEPTA pass or a parking pass or whatever the case, we want to make it, first of all, easy to get there, right? Because that is part of care. If you're, if you're not in the seat, you, you can't do it, right? And then once somebody is, you know, in services, we're trying to balance that. This is individualized, right? We want to work with that specific individual in front of us or that family or that couple in front of us. And we want to draw in those practices that have been tested and proven to work. So if someone comes in and they're evidencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or of depression, we want to make sure we're assessing that. We want to talk with them about what that might mean, how that might be showing up. And then we want to make goals together. Yeah, I don't want to have PTSD, but mostly I want to be able to go to my, you know, go to my son's football game, right? Okay, how do we get there, right? Here are these treatments that we know can really help you 
really quickly, a couple months, and we can knock this out if we work really hard. Right. And so we make that game plan together and then we dig in. Right. If we're if as long as the provider and, and the client or clients are on the same page, then we dig in and we push. And I think that's what makes our program is a little bit different. Pete and I like to joke, uh, we're not rent a friend. You're not coming in and chit chatting. Right. That's not maybe that's maybe that helps you to feel better in that moment. But it doesn't help people establish lasting change. What helps them to establish establish lasting change when something is not working is to do something differently. And so we are a partner in that. Right. We form this team that our goal is over there where you can go to your son's game. Here's how we're going to get there. Here's how we're going to knock down obstacles to get there. And so that having that plan of attack, having that collaboration and then really following through on it, that's what we think therapy should look like. And that's what the evidence says works. And we see that every day. I'll throw this to both of you and whoever wants to, to answer. Do you find the bigger problem is people don't think they need help or People want help and they just have no idea how to go about it. What do you think is a bigger <laughs> challenge or is it yes two sides yes. of the same coin? Yeah. Yeah, yes and. Yes and yes. <laughs> it's Yeah, it could be both, right? You know, it could be in a little bit of denial that you really can use the help and not know where it is at the same time So or the other way around. And also just, just to follow up on the, um, the idea that we have a low, low bar to care uh, – Another thing, and this is this a lot of this happens when I actually got interviewed. I started thinking, I'm like, wow, I'm like, we actually see people who have had dishonorable discharges. And as the life report of me, like, I'm like, it was a like, a, I was having a reaction. And then I really just had like this moment where I'm like, wow, I'm like, that guy got hooked on painkillers and he was one of the best staff sergeants. And next thing you know, he's getting arrested for being hooked on heroin. Why shouldn't he get? the same care that the veterans that, you know, did the same or less time as him. I mean, his, it was still a product of the service. So really like it's, it's such a great model because it's, it is like a, a leave no person behind, leave no, no service member behind. And one of the, um, the things that we offer is, is couples counseling and family counseling. And, you know, I, I did mention that that isolation is part of it. Well, what, what do you think happens if you get a divorce? I mean, you become isolated in many, many cases. Mm-hmm. What happens if your kids aren't talking to you? So, so the fact that we, get, we see families too, it, it's just it's, – it's a great model and it's really rewarding. Um, not easy. Not easy at all, uh, especially for them. But, but it's, it's one of the most rewarding jobs that I've ever had, so – And if I can re-piggyback, I would just say I think that, you know, your question was was excellent because there are these layers of barriers, right, that can be um, mental, right, stigma of, you know, who seeks care or even that kind of like dissonance that we experience of, of looking ourselves in the mirror and going like, hey, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got these great kids. I've got this great life. I've got this great job. And yet, you know, I'm still struggling. Right. So that idea, like we have this picture that's this all or none. Right. You don't have to be homeless or transitionally housed or, you know, suicidal to need support in some area. Right. In some way. And so I think what we you know, we try to share with folks is like if you don't feel like you. Like if something doesn't feel right, it's it's never too early to get care. It could be too late, but it's it's never too early. So come in for preventative maintenance, right? Like come in and get a little support. And that's where that other piece kicks in of like, 
what am I going for? What am I looking for? How do I navigate this system? Um, and we wish that we could provide this level of support to everyone, but for our veterans, for family members, for service members, being able for them to call and say, hey, this is what's going on. I don't know if you're the right place. It doesn't matter. Just call, right? We'll help you get there. If we don't do it, we'll help you get to where it does. And that part of navigating the system is so complicated. We hear, we know that, right? We, we experience that ourselves. We know how hard it is to find care for loved ones and those kinds of things. So being able to be a support, even if it's not us, we don't care. We just want people to connect with what they need. And we're happy to help with that too. I'd like to broaden our conversation to talk a little bit about how we, and when I say we, I mean American society, look, treat, understand the military. Because I think there is an incredible disconnect because so few of us have direct either service or family members or close friends that serve. And we really have no idea how it works. And we know it's important. And I think we have gotten to the point where because we're so far disconnected, we put everything military on a pedestal and everyone's a hero jumping in behind enemy lines. And I'm not trying to make light here, but that's how it's portrayed and how we kind of look at it. And are we doing a disservice to not look at military service on a much more human level and treat it with respect but appreciate everything that goes into it. Am I making sense as I put this forward? Uh, Absolutely. And um, think about a high school of 200 kids. If you go by our ratio of what we have, maybe two kids will go into the military. The number is so small. So when they get out, there's an expectation that they're going to be special. And you're a 24-year-old kid. You just get out. Maybe you've done a deployment or two. And things aren't working out for you. You know, thank you for your service. Or, well, you were in the military. I expect better from you. I've heard that thrown around quite a bit. So uh, I, I hope that's kind of answering your question or at least opening up the discussion is that the number is so small and the American public has, they, they've definitely put us on a pedestal, but, you know, it's, it's so easy to slip up. And when you're not up and you're not meeting the expectations of that pedestal for yourself, because it comes with the territory nowadays. You're not, it's, it's not like I joined in 1989. I, I signed in, up in 89, left in 90. And it's nothing like, like it was back then. I was just a regular guy joining the Navy. Um, I ended up switching services and doing 25 in the Army. But it's a different world nowadays uh, for, for somebody getting out of the service. And the same thing when you retire. It's like, I retired. What am I supposed to do now? I mean, there's still people. And the other, the other thing that's different, you talk about, the differences between periods of war and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, we've been doing over 20 years with some kind of global war on terrorism. So there was no parade. I mean, it was thank, for, thank you for your service and your, you know, your little bits and you walk around. You might have an Army hat or you know Navy hat or a veteran shirt or something like that. But there hasn't really been an end to it. Mm-hmm. And you have that feeling of guilt, like – even though you're, you're such a small percentage of the population, you feel like, I feel bad not being over there with them. And it happened sooner than people realize. It happened to me months after I got home. I, had a, I left a six-month-old. It came back for him to be a year and a half old. And I felt guilty for being home months after I got home from Iraq in 05. 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very strange dynamic with uh, an army that's more or less been at war or, or you know, military at war, let's say, because I'm obviously the Marines, Navy, Air Force, everybody's doing their part, and, and a nation at peace. It has definitely created a, a vacuum for for these for these people that are getting out and not able to transition back. And most people do transition back. Most of my friends have done really well for themselves. But like Dr. Blaine said, it's like you can struggle internally while you're striving. You could be kicking it out there, doing great, you know, have two houses, whatever it is. But, you know, if, if you're still living that guilt for not for not being overseas, and and I I would say that just about every vet, you know, has felt that at least once. It's like, how come not I'm not there? Do the American people understand the military, like, past what we've just talked about and, oh, they go overseas? Like, I don't think people have any mm. understanding, and I, I don't mean this, I'm not killing people for it, but because, once again, we, the vast majority of us are so far removed from it, we have no idea how things work, like, what goes into it. We don't understand. Like, the thing with the senator from Alabama who was holding up the military promotions, I think people... Don't understand, like, the pressure that puts on families and stuff like that. Like, we really don't understand anything at all about how this all works, do we? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when some of the stats that I think are helpful and, and you know, I'm a I'm a civilian. I'm a I'm a Korean uh, combat granddaughter. But and I grew up near the joint bases in Jersey. Um, but I think, you know, for me, like I, I didn't serve. I've been honored to serve veterans uh, and their families for most of my professional career. But that's an outside looking in. And I think sometimes that's a knock. Early career people will be like, well, you know, how can you get it if you didn't serve? Well, if we're really only relying on veterans to be able to serve veterans, then our veterans are not getting the support they deserve, right? Because they serve for everyone, first of all, and such a small percentage of people have served that it can't be all on them. And it shouldn't be all on them, right? We actually all need to do our part. And so I think the stats that are helpful to anchor me, you know, Pete mentioned, you know, less than 1% serves, which is amazing. This is a voluntary minority that that is serving on behalf of all of us. And then if we look even broader, less than 10% of people have served. So our veterans. So again, a tiny, tiny portion really in, in scale of our community. And folks tend to cluster, right? Service happens in communities, service happens in families. And so it's not evenly spread around. So that means for the rest of us, right, for the 90% that I populate is that we have to actively seek connection to military and to our veterans, right? It, it may not just, you know, that person may not walk in and sit next door. They may not come to Thanksgiving dinner. And so how are we connecting, right? So trying to keep that onus on ourselves to say, hey, okay, I didn't serve. Maybe I feel okay about that. Maybe I don't, whatever that is. You know, you can grapple with that personally. And they're still in active military serving for me right now. I'm a voting adult, right? So what do I do with that, right? How do I make sure that I'm honoring that in some way? And that's going to look different for everybody, but there are ways to stay engaged. And and I think to Pete's point, when we're a populace, right, when we are a, a you know nation at peace, there isn't that pressure, right? There is, it's not front and center. And so we do have to actively seek it. Um, and I think that's the part that gets complicated for people as they want to, right? Like they, they may care in theory and, and, you know, try to stay up on things, but thinking about like, and, and Pia, I'd loved your thoughts on this. And, and certainly I've, you know, talked with clients about this over time of like, 
what is meaningful, right? Because thank you for your service generally is not <laughs> meaningful, but um, and and often it, it, there's kind of like a visceral like um, reaction. But that idea of like you know how can people show up, right? Can you lay a wreath? Can you make a donation? Can you um, talk with your kids about what service looks like or the fact that there is a military, right? So what are the ways you know? Just staying dialed in to where folks are deployed even, right? Like keeping a track on that. Like most most civilians don't know that at any given moment, but most veterans do, right? They're, they're keeping up. They're aware because um, it's just out of respect, right? Like somebody's over there doing something. We should realize that. So those are things that come to mind for me. I don't know what your thoughts are. I, I think Leah hit it all. I mean, it's, it's really um, – there's a disconnect and it's – it's hard to get a connection. Uh, for me, it's just the fact that there are almost as many people in the parade as there are attending the Philadelphia Veterans Parade. Working at it this year uh, as, as a committee person on it, there were people complaining that it was scheduled on the same day as the Eagles-Cowboys. Different time. It was at 12 o'clock where the Eagles-Cowboys game was at 4.30, and they were complaining, don't you know there's an Eagles-Cowboys game? And it just shows just the disconnect um, of of just the, the public. It's like you can't you can't take a few hours, and it's like you don't even have to show up. Just don't be mean about it. <laughs> so it's like it's like how dare you? So that that's and I, my guess would be there's a lot of people that really mean it when they say mm-hmm. thank you for your service. But I would guess that those same people who are complaining about having to drive around the parade, they probably say it too. It's like you know it's it's about as shallow as a puddle. As far as I'm concerned, and I do understand people, you know, say it out of reaction because there's nothing to say. I mean, and it, it makes you not want to wear uh, an, an army veteran hat or you know it's something like that because I I, I love wearing that stuff because I'm proud of my service and what I did, but it's 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 a, it's a strange dynamic. Mm-hmm. How do you think we got here? Is this just a natural natural result of decades of a volunteer army? Like it's nobody's necessarily fault it's just for this long people have been able to choose to serve and you kind of it was almost inevitable when i think i think pete like that's matt you you raised this point before of like that idea that like this idea that you know every like everyone who has served is special and is a hero and you know is special ops and like blah 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 like, like special forces like doing all these things um and so, like, this, that lack of familiarity, right? Like, just like we've seen, like, we, we develop biases, positive, negative, or both, right? They, right, even really positive um, perceptions can be harmful, right? They have this kind of cutback. So we develop those really skewed perceptions when we don't have familiarity and regular exposure, right? So, like, and that, that I mean, challenge in some ways is that, like, veterans are everywhere, right? And and not. But, better, I mean, really, like, you don't know, right? Like, if you look at Pete and you look at me, we could both observe. We could neither of us observe. Like, you can't pick a veteran out of a crowd necessarily unless they have their hat on. Um, and so you, you, you said that, like, is this inevitable? And it's like you can look at structural factors, right? Like, yes, in part we have a volunteer military and in part, you know, our – this is a little crass, but our, our war machine has gotten more efficient, right? We actually need less humans to power it. And so proportionately to our general population, fewer people need to serve, right? We've we've gotten better at keeping folks alive, thank goodness. So, you know, it, it, so right, if we just look at the literally the factors of what it means for how many total humans need to serve to power our military, which is one of the largest on the planet. Um, yes, those all of those structural factors matter. 
And then there's these other pieces that it's like we could have less than 1% serving at any time, but we could be covering veterans' issues more. We could be covering you know, where folks are serving more. We could be um, – because I think there are ways to keep it top of mind even if it's not um, that everyone is serving or there's you know, an, a draft or this kind of thing. So it really, again, the structure can meet this gap, right? We can – we individually can and then we can at a systems level um, try to bring this back closer to awareness, right? Like again, if we just look at our public education system, do, is there anything that ever covers anything about military service? Is there a unit? Is there a week that talks about what does it look like to serve in the United States military? What are some other than historically, right, what happened, you know, when when Washington crossed, right? Really, when we're looking at like right now, what does it look like to serve and why that's just as important as how a bill turns into a law, right? Um, so, again, I think there are different solves. Um, and, and in some ways, it's a good problem that we we, you know, we don't need as many humans because we're actually taking better care in a lot of ways of the folks who are serving. But this is an, a way we need to show up better for yeah. those people. I mean, I look at the way the media or it's not the media, but entertainment, how the military is put forth in entertainment, because I still come across and watch MASH. And you look at the way the, the military was perceived in MASH. And what I mean by that, it was, it was very human. It was bureaucracy. Mistakes were made. Everybody kind of understood. Uh, I can't believe they sent us the summer supplies in the winter. But very things that, you know, happened. And you look at, for the most part, how the military is portrayed today. And it is, you know, heroes jumping out of planes and killing someone, killing the enemy from 700 miles away and never miss. Like, it's very unrealistic, but it puts it up on a pedestal. And that is not a long time. You know, we're talking 50 years or that, that, and how that I feel like it's a complete 180. But I think it's because before, between draft, world wars, everybody had a, t- a connection to the military. So there was much more appreciation. Like, no, it's not. It's, it's my cousin. It's my neighbor. It's mm-hmm. this is how it works. I hear the stories all the time. To where now it's just we have no idea. So we're going to err on the side of hero worship. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hate to, to call myself out on this, but in the, I guess, mid-late 90s, there was a show called JAG, mm-hmm. and I love that show. <laughs> but, um, I, and you know, it, it was really good-looking people on it. It was ridiculous how good-looking. I mean, it, you look at me, you're like, well, what happened to that guy? Um, <laughs> but um, but they, knew, they knew, like, judo, karate, and I'm like, they're lawyers. Yeah. They're lawyers. I knew a lot of lawyers in the military. Really good people. But it's like, you didn't fight the Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> it's like, you processed some paperwork at best, you know, maybe prosecuted some cases. And I'm not saying that's, a, that's an important it's job. Important. It's an yeah. important job. But, yeah, I would say Hollywood and media really have done a disservice to, to what it means. Um, and they're great. Some of them are great stories. And, you know, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a blind spot there. And, mm. and I, I want to say that it's, you know, I, I guess that one sells and the other one doesn't that's what it really comes down to um although i think it'd be pretty cool if they had a you know if i if i told you some of my stories and like i said i was pretty yeah i was paratrooper and stuff like that but um but i was a very ordinary person you know it was like and and that's i think those are even more fun than some of the stuff they put on tv you know just some some of the stuff you get to do 
We will return to our conversation with Dr. Leah Blaine and Pete Whitney of the Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania in just a moment. But first, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda. KBB.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. And now let's return to our conversation with Dr. Leah Blaine and Pete Whitney of the Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania. So what would you recommend to people, people of good faith who want to honor veterans, respect, do their part, what would you, the, the two of you, recommend people do? Things that will have meaning, have an impact, and and be much more than just that shallow puddle we talked about earlier. Well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, really just some of the things we spoke to before, which is any way that you can bring honoring service that is happening on your behalf into your life more closely, right? And that could be a huge array of things. That could be supporting an organization that supports veterans. So really, as you mentioned before, you know, doing some background research into politicians who you support and making sure that they're aligned on this issue, right? If you're thinking about the issues that are important to you, is this one of them? Um, and are you voting in that way? Or are you even aware of um, what bills are out that folks have supported? And it's hard. There's a ton to track in our community. So it can also be in small ways, right? It can be making sure that on Memorial Day, you think, wow, okay, here's what this day is about. People have, have died so that we have our freedoms, right? And so we don't say happy Memorial Day. We might say have a meaningful Memorial Day. You can have your beer, you can do your barbecue, you can do whatever you want and take a moment, right? Maybe take a moment at said barbecue, right? So finding just those little ways to weave it in. If you have little kids, talk with them about what is the military? What does that mean, right? All of these ways in which, you know, we can we can just bring it into more of our regular conscious awareness. Um, and that takes effort. Right. Because of these disconnect pieces that we talked about. Um, I, I keep saying the parade because it's really important. And, and it's it's our one moment. It's our it's our one moment of the year. We really say, please come out for something like that. Yes. Memorial Day, too. But that would be the biggest thing. I, I would say it's just, you know, it's a day or two in November. Take that time. to, to And I'm not saying to let go of the rest of the year. Stay conscious, you know, understand vote. I mean, and, you know, the military. There's some things like, and my wife understands this, it's like there, there's a closeness that you get to those people because you're just with them every second, like like nobody else. I mean, um, and I wish I'd spend that much time with my wife, but I'm working on it. Um, so just, just try to understand that. And I would say really from my perspective, yes, great, come out. But speaking to the veterans, we need those guys to come out, guys and gals. Uh, and, and to my to my female veterans, please wear the shirt. Wear the shirt. I need you to wear the shirt. I need you to wear the hat because that's something that's that's really hard for us to get female veterans to and identify. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's like make your claim. You did your time. You did your service. Make your claim. Make sure make sure that you're the one wearing the army hat when you're with your husband at the Home Depot and you're getting the military discount, so they know it's you and not him. 
And I know that sounds silly, but we need that more. We need more women veterans to join their American legions, to join their VFWs. Yeah, you know what? It might be a drunk, a drunk fest of old white guys. Change it. Change it. Have something to do with it. And that same not post-9-11 vets, yeah, I know you're going to do, do it. We've had a great success story here at the, um, the American Legion post-405, which I'm a member of. And it's, at, it's actually at the Union League is where they hold their meetings. And you know what? We've been welcomed to post-9-11 vets. I think we have 20 in the last year that have joined, which is unheard of. But it's a lot of work. So, so to all the veterans, get your fellow, fellow veterans out there. Avoid that isolation. Mm-hmm. Avoid it, it, even if it means a phone call. If, whatever it is, get them out there. Get them involved. Because there's only so much really – it's going to be tough for them no matter what. And, it, and it's just the way it is right now. But I would say I could speak – I'm going I'm to preach to the choir – Vets come out, get your other vets involved, get them help if they need it. Um, you know, the Cohen Clinic, 844-573-3146, my first plug. Um, that's, that's the Cohen Clinic number. Uh, you do not require insurance. We do not have a copay. Uh, you just call up and you make an appointment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's another place, I mean, if it's a service dog or something you get involved with, get involved with it. Get, get your friends help because they're still out there and you're always that time's always going to be special that you served. And I, I have to come back to the idea of paying attention who you're voting for because mm-hmm. I, this is one of the other things that enrages me is that every politician lifts up veterans and they su- support them. And, but then if that's the truth, why do, do I need a comedian in John Stewart to make it his life's mission to get people – to vote for or burn pit uh, legislation or the 9-11 firefighters. I know kind of different but adjacent. But it is incredibly important for people to hold politicians, I don't care what party, I don't care what part of the country, to the fire to say, well, yeah, that's great, but then why did you vote against this? Or why do they have to work so hard for this? Because that's uh, I think that that would go so far. If you want to make an impact, <laughs> that's a way to make an impact now. Oh yeah, I mean, st- staying informed is it's a, it's a it's a challenge for the American public in general. I mean, it's almost like you know some of the things we've learned about when the beginning of the global war on terrorism that if people knew then what they know now, uh, there would have been a lot of different results that came out. Some of the the declassified information that's come out. Um, so yeah, I would say. That's part of it. And it's a shame that Jon Stewart is fighting, you know, for funding of burn pits and so on and so forth when maybe we take it a step back further. Maybe we shouldn't be using burn pits in certain places, right? I right. mean, it's, it's, it's great, you know, to you know, prevention, you know, what is it, ounce of prevention is mm-hmm. better than a, a pound of medicine. Yeah. Sorry, Ben Franklin, I didn't mean to misquote you, but... But yeah, I, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's where that's where it begins for me. Mm-hmm. It's who who are you really voting for? Uh, you know, I'd say that your duty is an American, and, and um, you know, if if we could prevent the next war, I'll take that over the you know us us hustling around to to find the the veterans and their families that are struggling. Yeah, and I think the prevention piece really resonates, and and it's a both and always, right? So we, you know, when we say we need to look towards prevention, that is 
while we take care of folks who are already impacted, right? Um, but if we look even at, you know, if you look at the <laughs> Department of Defense budget and what percentage of that goes into wellness for the troops and preventative care for the troops, right? We're spending, I mean, what, like billions of dollars on jets, right? Like just numbers that don't even make sense. But if we look at, you know, what can we do? Yes, we want to serve our veterans who have been impacted and our families who have been impacted. And can we learn those lessons now and make sure that we are advancing our preventative work within the military and and hopefully our whole country period um, to really make sure that folks, when they're coming out, have an easier transition. And we're doing more with transition programs as folks. So there's there's a ton of work that can really go in to ease the pain points that we know and we see now. And so I think that's where it does get really complicated for folks who are looking for like, what can I do, you know, that's easy or, or not not easy, like in a bad way, but just that like, you know, I'm, I'm also living my whole life, right? And so any piece that you grab, any piece that you do is something you're adding, right? That's and that's the that's the great part, right? Is post the, you know, if you're going to say, you know, you know, happy Veterans Day, or you're going to say, you know, I support the troops, post the crisis line on there, right? Post that 988, right? Post had a text for support, right? Because that might be a veteran, you know, that might just be anybody, right? How do we kind of make things a little bit more actionable? The the silver lining always for me is that we have these things that work in part because of our veterans, right? We learned about what PTSD was because we saw a whole crop of folks go somewhere, have really intense experiences and come home with some other stuff going on, right? That's how we learned what PTSD was. Now we've learned that it happens after all sorts of stuff, car accidents and assaults. But our veterans have led the way. They've helped us to develop treatments that work That's amazing that we have these things now. How can we promote that, not just for our veterans, but for everyone, right? So I do think that there's kind of some hope to take in addition to this. And if we try to make it a little more active and a little less nominal, I think we'll be doing everyone a service. Once again, Cohen Clinic, give me the info. People want help, need help, how to reach out. Yeah. So Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania. So the number is 844-573-573. 3146. And the website is www.penmedicine.org slash veterans. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.